Um, Little Freak is about us, Marissa, on Harry's. <laughs> Little Freak. Harry said, hey, I've been listening to the LSMR podcast. Uh, this is for you ladies. Little Freak. Little Freak, much freaking. That's us. Hey, guys. I'm Marissa. And I'm Liza. And this is the Little Freak, much freaking podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. It's actually the little sleep, much read podcast. But um, little freak, little freak works too. So little freak, much freaking. Little freak, much freaking. I was trying to remember at work, we were assigning ourselves as Hunger Games characters. And I think I assigned myself as Cinna. But I don't know if that's fully accurate, but it was just what I was feeling that day. I like it. You're kind of Effie Trinket a little bit, best friend. I think I am. But you're like low key, like a mixture. Like you're like Effie and Haymitch's love child. Hell yeah. That's all I want to be in life. That's it. What district do you think he would be from? That's an excellent question, because if you actually look at the map, I think Connecticut is District 13 or District 12. But out of actually what I think, I think I would be District 5, which is the fishing, which is right where Finnick is from. I think so. Yeah, that's where I would. That's my district, I think. What about you? I literally don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I would just be from the capital. But I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm just simply not that lucky. Yeah, wow. If you look on the map, we are District 13. Yeah. The capital uh, said bye. Bye. They hate us. Uh, remember when <laughs> Candace, like, woke up and she was like, are we going to go home? And uh, freaking Gail was like. <laughs> there is no District 12. And she was like, they hit the Pentagon. They hit the Pentagon. (gasps) That is perfect. That's perfect. Someone make a TikTok. Liza. Yeah. What the heck did we do this week? This week, um, we are celebrating an observance month that everybody should be celebrating. Um, And that is Asian American and Pacific Islanders Heritage Month. Yay. It is from the 1st of May to the 31st of May every single year. And in case you didn't know, too, AAPI is an umbrella term for many different cultures. So it includes East, Southeast and South Asian people, as well as uh, the Pacific Islands, Micronesian, Polynesian people um, who are living in the United States It looks like this has been around for a while. Well, at least the efforts to make an observance month began in the 1970s, which is really cool. And then they were given 10 days, like a heritage week um, in the late 1970s. 
And then since President Jimmy Carter, each president has passed annual proclamations of Asian and uh, Asian Pacific American Heritage Week. And in 1990, it was made into one whole month. And that is really cool. It's another one of those, like, I feel like we talked about this with Black History Month, too, that it's a sh- and Hispanic Heritage Month, too, because it's a shame that it took that long for it to become an observance month because Asian Americans have been founding this country for so long. And I think people kind of forget that too often. But I mean, in my book that I read, it takes place during the gold rush. I don't know. It's just like, it's crazy to me when we're reading these descriptions of the heritage months and they're like, and then it was made a heritage month in 2004. And you're like, um, (laughs) excuse me. When, when Asian Americans and black Americans and Latin American people literally built this country, it's kind of, and women, it's kind of insane. Um, but yeah, that's what we're celebrating. So what did, what did you read? I read. Um, oh, and by the way, for this month, too, we focused on Asian American and Pacific Islander American authors, not Asian authors or Asian diaspora authors as a whole. So we'll definitely do that another time because there are so many cool works of translation and so much cool fiction from different countries around the world um, by Asian authors. But this one is specifically for AAPI authors. And so I read um, How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang, which was it only came out a year or two ago and it won a bunch of awards. And I can see why, because it was amazing. I read a book called On Such a Full Sea by Chang Ray Lee. I did DNF it, but, you know, we're going to talk about it and it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. And also, so earlier today, I was talking to my mom about the book and I was like, let's just look it up really quick. So I looked up the author who, who by the way, is a Korean American novelist and he has quite a few books and they all have beautiful covers. But anyways, and I looked and his birthday is my birthday. So we're birthday twins. Birthday twins. He's 56, but still. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. That's fun. Um, also, I just want. Um, it's very fun. You mentioned that he's Korean American. My author, um, Si Pam Zhang, she is Chinese American. She was born in Beijing, but was raised in the United States. So as I said, um, my book is called On Such a Full Sea. The cover's beautiful. It looks like paint strokes. Even the font is very paint strokey. And so this book is actually uh, a dystopian type book where Baltimore is no longer Baltimore and is now Beemore. And it's a self-contained labor colony. And when, I don't know if her name is Fawn or Fan, in my head, I was pronouncing it Fawn because I thought that Fan was a little silly. (laughs) But um, so the main character, Fan, she's a young girl um, and her boyfriend suddenly disappears. And so she has to leave B-more and she goes on kind of a quest to find her boyfriend. Um, So I went into my bookstore and I had no idea what I wanted to get. And, you know, I looked for a few names and I wasn't really seeing people. So I was kind I wasn't seeing like people who I um, recognized, who I had picked. 
Um, so I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know what to do. And so the, there's a lovely lady there who works at the desk. And I went to her and I said, this might sound silly, but I need a um, Asian American or Pacific Islander author. And I don't really have a preference for what it is. And that's the only thing that's like the only parameter I have. And she was like, sounds easy. So she gave me a few titles and we looked things up and we talked for a while the whole time there were like these old men there who kept trying to like talk to her and be like old books. I have a bunch of old books. It was really friggin' weird. Um, and she was like, I'm literally trying to help customer, but whatever old man, um, she was great. And so I read a lot of the, you know, the backs of the suggestions. I flipped through them. I looked at the font. I Googled the authors. I looked at the covers, everything that I, like to do to mentally prepare myself for buying a book. And this one wasn't too long. I liked the way the font looked. I loved the cover. It sounded so interesting. I was like, okay, this is the one. And this is one of the first ones she picked out for me too. I just, I went back for it at the end. So I picked this book and I got it. And I, I started reading it um, a while ago and my brain was just like, no, Mm -mm, no. And so it had to be DNF'd. So let's get into our chart and I'll explain why a little bit more. So for readability and interest, I gave it a one. Obviously, I didn't finish it. I DNF'd it. I think that this book is somebody's book. And I think that it's probably many people's book, actually. It is, in fact, not my book. It is just not. Um, it's not my kind of writing style. So let's move into language and style. Let's talk about that. So for language and style, I gave this a three. On our writing scale, if you don't know, three just says all right writing. Let me explain. Technically, the writing, beautiful. Um, it's very, everything is correct, is what I'm going to say. It's all very correct and uh, grammatically pieced together really well. And you can tell that Chang really knows how to write. Unfortunately, the writing was just not my cup of tea. Um, me and Liza have said this many times. We like writing. We like books that anybody could pick up and start to read and they can do it. You know, a lot of times in college, I would find uh, very literary books, very technical writing, and they were great, but they just weren't my cup of tea. I feel as though you don't always have to flex your intelligence and your tech and your yeah, your technically your technicalities. I don't know. You guys know what I mean. Um, you don't have to flex that. You don't have to show off in that way for your book to be good. I've read books that have fragment sentences and books that have words that are probably not in a dictionary and books that are probably very grammatically incorrect. And yet they're amazing and they're so good. And I would want to keep reading them. Yeah, this book does not, it's not like that. So what I would like to do is read a little bit of it. So this is page four, and this is the exact paragraph where I was like, what the hell is going on? Okay. 
At 16, she had the stature of a girl of 11 or 12, and thereby, when first encountered, she could appear to possess a special perspective that one might automatically call wisdom, but is perhaps more a kind of timelessness of view, the capacity as a child might have to see things and people and events without the muddle of the present and all it contains. That was one sentence, besties. Now I'm going to read it to you again, but I'm going to read the punctuation this time so that you get a feel. At 16, she had the stature of a girl of 11 or 12, comma, and thereby, comma, when first encountered, comma, she could appear to possess a special perspective that one might automatically call, in quotes, wisdom, but is perhaps more a kind of timelessness of view, comma, the capacity, comma, as a child might have, comma, to see things and people and events without the muddle of the present and all it contains, period. Yeah, that'd be a lot. Um, and I, I'll also say, if there was one sentence like that, every couple of pages, I would be like, okay, fine. But it's genuinely every other sentence. So it's definitely, it's a lot. And, you know, like me, I, I read that sentence and my writing brain plugs in and I think of ways that I could edit it and change it, which is unfortunate, but it does happen. I just, there's just a lot going on. And so the book started like that and it kept going like that. And it got to the point where I was reading it and I would get pages and then be like, my brain was not with this page and I don't know what I read. And then I would go back and I would read and then I would happen again. Um, these long capital W writerly sentences make me zone out. And so that's what happened. So I gave it a three for form. I didn't even do form. Um, There's nothing um, special happening with form here. So we'll just leave it like that for shelf worthy read again. I gave this a four for me. I would say, I mean, I wouldn't read it, but if I were to read it, if someone was like, you have to read this book, um, I would just borrow it. Um, So for other people, I'm saying borrow it. You don't need to buy it. Go to your library. I'm sure they'll have it. And I would I would have to do more research before I told you maybe try one of his other books or not, Um, in my opinion. This one does, it seemed the most interesting to me. And obviously a writer is a writer and their writing style isn't going to change very much. And so I figure if this book has these sentences, his other books also will be created in a very similar way. And again, I don't want to discourage people from reading this author or this book because I think that there are many people who this book is for. I can think of my some of my own friends who I think would like this book. It's just simply not mine. And that's okay, I think. So again, if I read, if I read that sentence to you and you were like, hmm, that doesn't sound bad. And when I explained the description to you, you were like, that actually sounds really, really cool. Go get this book. If you, if you know yourself and you know the kind of writing you like and you don't have space brain like me, so your brain can focus on a page like that and not go away, 
then totally go get this book. Um, I'm actually disappointed that I couldn't get very far in it and I couldn't um, enjoy it to the full potential that I would have hoped to, because it seems really, really cool. And I'm um, excited about this author, but I just simply just wasn't for me. And sometimes we have to accept that. I think me and Liza have said this on the podcast before, but there are so many books that come out a year, so many books that come out a year, and you're going to want to read so many of them, but you're never going to have time to read all of the books in general. um, And you're never going to have time to read all of the books that you would want to read. So therefore, if you're reading a book and you're like, hmm, I don't think this book is for me, I think it's totally okay to DNF the book because you don't want to take, you don't want this book to take up space that your new favorite book could possess. Any day, any book you open up has the potential to be your new favorite book. And how are you going to find that if you're stuck reading a book that you don't really like? So that's how I look at it. Um, For plot, I gave this a six because, again, the plot sounds amazing. I will say with this, another thing that really made it hard for me to read this book, because it wasn't just one thing, is um, when I started it, it doesn't start you out in a scene. And it felt to me like it wasn't grounding me in the story. I'm trying to think, you know, sometimes... I can't think of a good example for this. The only one that comes to my head is The Little Mermaid, and it doesn't even do exactly what I'm saying, but I'm going to go with it. You know, sometimes in a movie, it starts you off not in the present, but in fact, in a moment in the past. For example, I'm pretty sure The Little Mermaid starts off with the ship, Prince Eric's on the ship, and there's a storm, and... uh, you know, Ariel saves him, but also his statue drowns. Or I'm pretty sure Frozen starts off with, you know, Elsa as a kid and she accidentally like zaps Anna and then they bring her to the little stone troll people. <laughs> My point is sometimes in a movie or something, you start off not in the present, but in the past. And that works in movies because usually they don't set you in scene when that happens. Usually um, it's like showing you what happens and then there's a narration going over it. Coco is a great example. It's showing you the images of what happened when his great great grandfather, I think, uh, kind of left the family for music and how his uh, grandmother responded to that, et cetera. And so, but you're not seeing it in scene. You're seeing it in stories with narration over it. That works in movies. In books, when someone tries to be like, oh, this is the legend of long ago or something like that. I personally find that a hard way to start a book as a reader because I'm not being immediately grounded in the story. I'm not getting... I'm often not getting physical details of people and things. And I just find it hard to be grounded in the story. I find it hard to understand what's going on when that happens. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it's just no fun. And this is how that this is how that this this that is how this book started out. So for plot, I gave it a six because it was interesting, but that was a downfall. For characterization, I didn't even really get to get into the characterization that much because um, I, A, this book doesn't start with it. And I didn't get this far into this book um, before I was like, can't do it. I will say this Fawn character who it is describing, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. A, a teenage character a teenage female character who is smaller than what her age normally is, who's like this kind of legend and like searching for her missing boyfriend. So, I don't know. Something just flashes in my brain about it. I'm like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. But other than that, I, I don't have any comments for uh, characterization. I didn't rate it. So that's my thoughts about that. And just again, really quick, I just want to say, if you guys think that this book is for you, definitely read it. Um, Or even if you, you know, when you Google books, you can see the little preview of the pages, pull it up on Google, read the first couple pages and let yourself see what it thinks. Let, Let yourself see what you think. Just because I don't like something or Liza doesn't like something does not mean that you won't. And so be open to it. And this podcast is about books and promoting books. And so if we just wanted to talk about books that we liked all the time, you would never know that this book existed, maybe. And that would be kind of sad. So I still think people should give it a chance. You know, read the preview on Google, see what you think. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll read it. You'll say, Marissa, you're nuts. This is amazing. You know, everyone has different tastes. And that's all i gotta say about that so yeah that's it i know i think that's very important to think about um and there's a lot of writing styles that i just don't like but that doesn't mean it's not going to be someone's favorite book Mm -hmm. like i don't like rom-coms some people rom-coms are what makes them happy Mm -hmm. and i'm like I wholeheartedly respect you for that. Like I, we, Marissa and I don't often go for high fantasy. Some people, their favorite book of all time is a high fantasy book. And so it's like, never take what we say as like a hundred percent truth, you know, because like you could, you could find your favorite book on this podcast and it could be a book that we didn't like. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it is. And you could read a book that we gave like a really amazing review to and be like, that's not something I'm going to read again or that's something I'm going to DNF. And that's what's so wonderful about reading. Yeah. I mean, just think like all the the books that your teachers were like, this is amazing. And you read it. You're like, no. Think of all the classic books that everyone rants and raves about when you read them and you're like, this is boring. Right. James Joyce. I don't like him. I don't like James Joyce. I, I hate like the James catcher. Joyce. I hate the catcher in the rye. I hate it. But hey, here we are. But people Even, love it. That's like true. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't read it too. Sometimes this podcast is for fun, but sometimes I think about it like we're kind of talking about it in a in a way that's almost like taking a class sometimes. And I'm like, some books I read 
And I'm glad I read them, even though I didn't like them. Mm -hmm. That's the really cool thing about books is sometimes you should learn about something, even if it's not for you. Yeah. Like, even if you're never going to read The Road or something, even though Marissa loved that book, now you know about it. And it's something that you can like apply to your, like after listening to last week's episode, now you know about the road and you can like think about that, which is a classic, even though it's like apocalypse fiction. I don't know. It's just always good to have extra, extra knowledge up in the brain tank. Yeah. And I mean, you read, you read books that you don't like, and then you can say, okay, now I know that I don't like this book and I don't like it because of ABCD, because I've, I read the writing. You know what I mean? I know. Right. Um, And then if you're a writer, you can use that to influence your own writing and and how you write. Period. Um, And if you're not, then you just know what to look for in a book next time. Period. When you're you're in Barnes and Nobles or your cute little independent bookstore, you're flipping through the book. You read it. You're like, "Mm, that sentence too long, too many commas. I don't like it. Then, you know, then, you know, know. that's such a good point too, Riz, because I started doing something that I think everybody should start doing to figure out if they want to read a book or not. Okay. I'm, I'm very much judge a book by a cover. Yeah. Um, so I will pick up a book only if I'm intrigued by the cover, which is not great. Um, but that's how I shop. Also, I'm a little bit of a misandrist. So if there is a man's name on the cover, I immediately, I'm like, this person has to prove to me in the description that I want to read it. But the new thing that I've been doing is, I read the first few sentences of the first chapter, which I feel like is something I didn't used to do like as a teenager. And I don't know if you can truly do this until you've discovered what writing style you like best. And I think both Marissa and I are at a point in our reading lives that we know. Um, But I think that's like a very, especially because this book, it seems like at least for Marissa, could have been really good for you if the writing style had been different that if you're somebody who's you're like I have a really hard time getting into certain books even when I like the cover or I like the writer from previously or I like the description read the first few sentences like take the time when you go to a bookstore that's the other thing uh, why you should buy your books at indie bookstores and Barnes and Nobles instead of Amazon because you can read the first few pages um, and see if you like it because I feel like that really is that's why we finish books and vice versa, why we don't finish books sometimes is whether the writing style is for us or not. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you didn't do I that. checked all the other things, <laughs> didn't read any of it. I was it's just not. like, this is it. It Which, was not, it was not it. It was not it. And hey, writing's hard. Writing is really hard. Writing is hard. Um, I constantly find myself recycling. I constantly find myself deleting. Um, I constantly find myself crumpling things up digitally. Writing is hard. Yeah. But hey, if you're a baby writer, if you're an experienced writer, there are people who uh, your book will be for. Yeah. I feel like just as much as your book is going to write itself the way it wants to be written, your book is going to find itself in the hands of somebody who wants to read, who Mm -hmm. who needs to read it. Yep. It's going to write itself the way it needs to be written and it's going to find the person who needs to read it. And it's going to find the person who needs to write it. Right. Because sometimes you're going to get an idea. That book is not for you to write. But thankfully, 
especially if you're in a community of writers, somebody else will find that and they'll be able to write it. If that makes sense. Or like and, they'll try writing something and be like, that's not for me. And right. throw it away, and that's fine. <laughs> and if you're not already in a community of writers, try to find people. You should be. Yeah. Who will be your writer friends. And they, they don't necessarily even have to be writers. No. As long as they are readers. Yeah. I think that they will be able to um, critique you effectively. So many people, so many like iconic writers talk about how writing is a solitary act. It 100% is not. If there's anything I've learned, it's that being a writer is the opposite of a lonely existence and being a reader is the opposite of a lonely existence. And that's what I think we try to do with little sleep much reading because people will say like, oh yeah, you have to be by yourself all the time when you're a reader. No, you do not. If, if book talk and bookstagram have showed us anything it's that this is one of like the least lonely communities you could be a part of and that I feel like that's kind of what we're trying to do with little sleep we're like you want to hear somebody talk about it you want to talk about it let's do it let's do it <laughs> inspiration time that was beautiful it was look at us what a what a nice way this is like this spoiler alert this is the second to last episode in season two mm-hmm. and I feel like after two seasons of this, we're like, we're, we're still learning a lot of stuff, but we're like coming more into like what the point of us screaming into the void every week is. Yes. Period. And someone reached out to us on Instagram, like a couple days ago, um, to ask about, uh, like what one of the books that we reviewed looks look like so that they could get it and I was like I freaking love that I thought that was so cute I, that made me really happy so reach out to us literally we want to be your friends like we want to talk to you all the time but we're here for you but I'll get right into my thing do it um so I read how Much of These Hills is Gold by Chinese-American author um, Pem Zhang. And the only thing I can think of, like the first thing I want to think of when I'm talking about this is, do you ever, have you ever read a book and just thought to yourself, instant classic? I think this book is an instant classic. I think wholeheartedly believe because this was only written like like I said one or two years ago. It was long listed for the 2020 Booker Prize. Um so it's new. I think this is going to be a book that is taught in high school and colleges in the future. I have no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. And the the thing like sometimes comparing books to other books, especially when you're comparing a book by like a very cool, like woman of color, innovative author, sometimes comparing it to an old book feels like it would be a bad idea. But I actually feel the need to compare it to an older book um, and say that this is actually that an example of, of that for like a new generation of readers and writers. This book, parts of it reminded me so much of William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying, um, which is, is uh, say what you want about William Faulkner, say what you want about that book, but it is one of the most important books I read in undergrad. And it's something I would teach 
when I teach. And I would even, I was thinking about it while reading these books. I was like, I would teach these alongside each other. I think it would be really interesting. And basically for those who don't know, I'm just going to give you the description of this book. And just like, it's very similar to As I Lay Dying in that this book follows two siblings who are essentially burying their father who has died. Um, And it takes place during the gold rush in the West, um, in the United States. And there are two Chinese American kids named Lucy and Sam. And um, their mother has died from complications from childbirth. Their sibling, third sibling died too um, years before. And Ba, their father, um, has recently died. And so they have to sort of flee the town that they're living in, which is wrought with anti-Asian racism. As we know, a lot of town villages and mining towns in the West were at this time, even though Chinese Americans made up a lot of the mining community and the engineering community and building community at the time. So they leave and they have their father's body and they basically have to dispose of the dispose of it. And this story is hauntingly beautiful, especially the images of the decay of their father. I was really like haunted by and it stuck with me. Um, But it's also just a story about family and siblings and finding home and what is home and how you do that, especially as an immigrant. And it was it was if you've read as i lay dying the end of it is just like a sucker punch you're like what the hell man after all that this book is it, it it's more i think a lot of it is more tender than as i lay dying and there's even parts where we get it we get like this sort of disembodied perspective from ba um that i think was really beautiful and like we I don't know. It's just like I said, it's As I Lay Dying for a new generation, which it, like if you don't know, As I Lay Dying, they're disposing of their mother's body. That's the whole point of the book um, and moving to a new place. Um, but this is very different than that in many different ways. But it has that same sort of foundation. So I will get right into my rating scale. Um, Like I said, instant classic. I'm very fond of this book. For readability, I gave this book an eight. I wanted to keep reading this. It is on the longer side, at least for me. Y'all know I like short books. It was like 319 pages. Um, So it did take me like a little longer than other books. But at the same time, I feel like I could have read it almost as quickly as I read some short books, just because you want to like keep reading it in that way for language and style i gave this book a nine i love c pam zhang's writing style i dog-eared so many pages that i don't even know where to begin in terms of reading you guys some stuff this so this is the first the first character i'm mentioning is a is a horse Nellie stretches long, long, legs flicker over grass and they are flying, the wind shrieking, the sound from Sam's throat raw and thrilling at once Ba's pride and Ma's husky rasp and something all Sam's own, wild as a beast. And Lucy realizes the sound isn't from one throat, it's hers too. If this is a haunting, then it's a good one. Like... That just gave me chills, like rereading it. 
also I feel like we read As I Lay Dying in our ghost class and I feel like this could have been in a ghost I read it we read it before that too but um I feel like this could be a good ghost book and I feel like ghost story class book and I feel like it could be a good road odyssey book as well but that's just one example of like I was like holy crap there was like I literally want to read you guys like so many passages from this but in the interest of time um I feel like that's not the wisest idea to make you guys just listen to me read forever. But, um, okay, this is another cool one. The sun sears, water leaves Lucy at an astonishing rate. Where did it go, all the lost water? Can a lake without proper burial become a ghost? Can a place remember and hurt and rage against what hurt it? She thinks it might. She thinks, not me. I didn't hurt you. Help me. Bro, what? Everything's so, like, like, this book, too, like, really makes you, like, think about things. The story Ma carried inside her is bigger than a baby, bigger than the West, bigger than the whole of the world Lucy was born to. Inside Ma is a place of wide cobbled streets and low red walls, mists and rocky gardens, a place that grows bitter melons and peppers so hot they'd set fire to this dry grass. Home is the place. Ma's voice so accented with longing that Lucy can hardly understand her. Home sounds like a fairy tale that Ma reads from a secret fourth book written on the backs of her shut eyelids. Ma speaks of fruit that bears in the shape of stars, green rocks harder and rarer than gold. She speaks the unpronounceable name of the mountain where she was born. I'm going to read one more. (laughs) Another set of miners will be given this house or maybe another flock of hens. It was never their house or their land to begin with. The wet season will wash away every imprint, shoe print, hair, fingernail, mark, chewed pencil, dented pan, drawn tiger, voice, story. Excuse me. I just feel like those last two especially speak to not only C. Pam Zhang's writing style, but like this, this idea of what it means to be an immigrant moving through a country, especially because Ba and Ma are immigrants, but Lucy and Sam are Chinese American, full stop, and sort of like a first round of Chinese Americans. And so they're finding home as two kids on their own in this land that has been not yet colonized um, is really interesting. And I think something else I want to mention is that I think this book not only does a really good job at showing like Chinese American um, life in the gold rush, but also what was happening to Native American people during this time, Um, because they talk a lot about they found like a buffalo skull at one point. And so they talk a lot about how like all the buffalo have been hunted um, and Native people have been already starting to be pushed out of their homes. Um, And it's really interesting, too, because Ba is Chinese, but he was somewhat raised he was his both his parents died and he was found with his dead parents um sort of like these kids are are with their dead parents and he was raised alongside a native native americans um and his best friend was an indigenous boy 
and so I just think, and this, this book just does a good job at showing all the different kinds of people that were in the West during this time. Um, so I just wanted to like add that too. Um, for form, I gave this book an eight. I would say that this book was, it was doing something I had not yet seen. So uh, Marissa was talking a little bit about this, like how do we show the past in a book versus in a movie? Um, this book starts in the front story. The first line is, Bod dies in the night, prompting them to seek two silver dollars, which they need to put over his eyes or they want to put over his eyes. We don't really get any, we get little bits of the past through the narration, but it's not until chat sections, parts later, that we actually get any flashback. And it completely does a flashback in a really interesting way that's not cheesy to me at all. And then like, it'll be like a section late. So we get the whole vision of Ma in her entirety in a part of the book that is a flashback. And then we get so much of Ba through this weird but very cool part that is from Ba's perspective, but almost like he has already passed away when he is saying this. And it's almost like from the beyond. But again, it's not cheesy at all. Like it's perfect. So it's very experimental in that way and that it's jumping around in a way to me that was not confusing. And also the other cool thing about this book is... The reason at the beginning I was like, I don't actually, I know it takes place during the gold rush, but like it says like XX62 instead of what must be 1862, 1762. Y'all, my US history is failing me. Um, but it always does XX and then the year, which I thought was really cool. And the other thing that is really interesting about this book first of all the chapter titles are freaking lit the only chapter titles are gold palm plum salt skull wind mud meat water blood and all of those are used multiple times through different points of the book like the chapter names are reused which i think is really fucking dope the other sick thing about this book is there's actually quite a few times that there are drawings so one time it's like the landscape, like a little like line drawing of the landscape, which is very cool. Ma and eventually the kids draw a tiger to protect their space. Um, so there's like line drawings of the tiger and line drawings of letters and the language throughout the book. And so I thought that was very cool. I love when writers aren't afraid to throw something in like that and not do it multiple times. Like when they're just like, I need to do this now. And it's okay that that's not a theme throughout the book. I think that's very cool. Um, so I thought this was very experimental for shelf worthiness. I gave this book an 8.5. Um, this is hinging on you must have this on your shelf and you need to go get it. Um, like I said, this book to me is an instant classic. I feel like this is something that everybody should try reading. I know we just had that discussion about how not every book is going to be for everyone, but I'm more so I'm feeling like when I'm a professor, I will be teaching this book type beat, um, not and, and, and forcing children to read it. Not necessarily like everybody who's listening to this has to go read it, um, but I would highly recommend it. Um, and it's something I'm going to hang on to forever. Like I'll be keeping that for the long time. For plot, 
I gave this book an 8.5. Like I said, I compared it to William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying, but this is doing an entirely different thing, even though it has that same core foundation, which I love so much, by the way. My book last week, Here Lies, has a similar thing. The disposal of a parent through the eyes of the children. I love that. Like, what a weird literary device that repeats in a lot of different stories but it, it, it's so different in so many different in so many books do it but it's always different and it's always fresh and I thought C. Pem Zhang's version of it was especially fresh the plot of this book is really interesting and I, I think I'll get into more of it because another this is another book where I think the characters are a real star of the show but like I said, like it somehow ta- it tackles death and home and child parent relationship and sibling relationships and immigration and especially the Chinese immigrant experience, the Chinese American experience. It tackles history with what the West actually looked like during the gold rush. I don't know if I said this already, I might be repeating myself, but finding home, what does home mean? What does it mean to be a certain kind of person, which I'll get into when I talk about characterization. And yet, even though it's encapsulating so many of these big ideas, it does have a, and it's jumping around through different time periods. I feel like sometimes that's a book type of book I don't like where it's like, so expansive and you're like okay where's the where is the plot this book did have a very distinct it's tackling all these big picture ideas and all of this time through this line of plot that is this disposal of a body and so you do want to keep reading this disposal of a body and this finding of a new place and it's almost an adventure that's why i said like it would almost be good for an odyssey class or an odyssey lesson because it's an adventure story too so i don't know it's it's kind of hard to describe the plot but i gave it an eight i thought it was at 8.5 i'm sorry i thought it was amazing and for characterization i gave this book an 8.5 hinging on a nine as well wow do we get a f- well-rounded picture of all four of the main characters ma ba sam and lucy And we don't get all of them. We don't get the full scope of who they are at once. This is a perfect example of characterization in this book. We are finding out new things about every character the deeper and deeper and deeper we get into this book. And you don't fully know who they are until you're very deep into this book. And I actually love that. Ba is such a different person in his decaying body in what we get of who he was right before he died in what we get of who he was in this backstory where ma was sick and pregnant and dying and then what we get of him when we get this unique perspective from his point of view ma is a very complicated character as well that we we collect her through bits and pieces of description one thing that about Ma that I think Marissa would love. At one point, she is found eating mud. And it was just such a fucking cool scene because she's like out in the night and she's like sunken in because she is starving at this point. And then once she eats the mud, then she starts to like be rejuvenated. But like when she's out in the night eating mud, it was such a cool scene. Oh my God, I can't even like 
it's one of those things that you have to read it to, and be like, what? To fully understand. But Lucy and Sam are siblings and they're so interesting. And it almost feels like the book is from Lucy's perspective, even though for the entire part, other than from the perspective of Ba, where he is addressing Lucy, it is from a third person perspective, but it feels the closest to Lucy and she's the older sister. And so she sort of has all this responsibility put onto her shoulders um, throughout the book, but especially after Ba dies. But I think Sam is a really interesting character. And, and the other really cool thing is Sam, C. Pam Zhang explores gender a lot with Sam. And at first you're pretty confused about what gender Sam is. And Sam takes so much after Ba, and that's mentioned a lot in the beginning of the story. And they're sort of like tough and they pull out a gun at one point. And that's like part of the reason why they have to like flee the town. And Lucy has this whole dialogue about what makes a man a man. That's really interesting. And then in the flashback, Pam, Sam is referred to as Lucy's sister as a girl and then sam dips into the uh, a lake they go into a lake after they dispose of ma and sort of wash off everything and when sam comes out sam is a boy so i don't know if sam is technically trans but that's the reason i'm always referring to them as siblings because we see sam in these two different roles in the front story and in the back story. And I was just, I thought it was amazing. And if it is showing a trans story this far back in history, what a cool way to do it. And that description of the dipping into the lake and coming out and no longer being the Sam that they were before, but a new Sam that is masculine and is sort of genderless. I thought that was beautiful. And all of these characters have so many of those beautiful um, transformation moments, even if that transformation is like a death. It's you guys, I'm just obsessed with this book. Like, I think it was so cool. Yeah, that's my rating of it. Everybody, please read it. I thought it was incredible. And I think it's so fun. I feel like we've both read a lot of good books this year. And it's only April, um, but it is really fun when you encounter a book that literally just blows your mind. And that's how I felt about how much of these hills is gold. The end. What a beautiful title, too. Yes. <laughs> no, it sounds very good. And I can definitely see why you liked it so much. Yeah. The other thing I want to say, too, on the note of just tying it into like Asian American Heritage Month a little bit more is there's a lot of moments where they're speaking Chinese and there isn't a translation for it. I don't mind that at all. I thought it added to the realness of the book. Like it feels real. Like, of course, these parents that that's their native tongue are going to say things in Chinese sometimes. And it reminded me of this moment. Marissa, I don't know if you were in this class, but one time in freshman year, we were in a class and a, a student wrote this poem that was very good. And it was about African-American, African-American specifically culture. And there was a lot of like African-American cultural references and like references to the slave trade and um, come like coming to America and being African-American and what that means. And the teacher 
had the audacity to say that this student needed to put footnotes because she didn't understand a lot of the references and wasn't able to get the depth of the poem. And I was like, bitch, it's not people of color's job to explain things to you. It is your job to do the work. Do not ask people of color. We say, we've said this before. Do not ask people of color to provide you with free intellectual labor. And it reminded me of that because I was like, if you don't understand something in a book about a different culture than yours, you should have to look it up. You should have to look it up. You shouldn't ask this author or this artist to explain something to you. Um, and it just reminded me of that with like the, the different like bits of language and bits of culture that are sprinkled throughout this book about the eight Chinese American experience. I'm like, I don't mind that I have to look something up to see what it means. And you should never complain about that. And so it just reminded me of that moment in school when that teacher said that this student needed footnotes to explain his own culture to her. I was like, girl, you look it up. You look it up. I think it's also, you know, we just kind of talked about this. Some things are not for you. Yeah, they're not. They're simply not. not. And and if you want to put in the effort and look it up, that's one thing. But but also the student shouldn't have to make the poem quote easier for you. Exactly. When perhaps it's not for you at all. It's not for you at all. It's not. Sometimes it's not for you. <laughs> like like when when Live you're a little it. kid and your parents start spelling things. It's not for you. Not for you to hear. No. I do that around somebody all the time. I'm like, we going to go for an R-I-D-E in the C-A-R? <laughs> he looks like, at me. He's like. He's like, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't for me, I guess. Um, but no, I think that's that's really cool. And things like that can also influence you as a writer and the way that you're reading them. Like, just for example, if the two parents were speaking and it was something not for the child to know, then maybe you don't look that up. Right. So that you could be in the perspective of of the child. Right. Or maybe you do look that up so that you can be in the know of the parents. It's it's about how you want to read books. And that's really interesting that we can uh, manipulate our writing like that. Yes. Totally. Wow, that's such a cool way to look at it, Riz. Thanks. Damn and Diddy. But yeah, I think I will definitely be adding that one to my list. Add it to the TBR, best friends. It's going on it. We're gonna get it. That's all she wrote for this mm-hmm. week. Um, what what are we doing next week? <laughs> it's a special episode next week. We got one of the craziest coming to be with this. The craziest bitch we know. Should we say who it is? Let's say it. Jessica D'Ambrosio. Jess, where you at? Where Jess, come on out. <laughs> um Miss Girl, the one and only, whose personality is unhinged. And a big piece of their personality is a little book called Geek Love by Miss Catherine Dunn. 
who died <laughs> in the month of May. So this episode is kind of like a in memoriam episode for Catherine Dunn. I have never read Geek Love. I'm reading it for this episode, but Riss has read it and it's Jess's favorite book of all time, question mark. Yep. Um, yeah, I read it for a class. This book is wild. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about my experience reading it for the first time and like what a kind of like brain trip it was. Um, especially the beginning of it. So yeah, I'm excited to get some information on that. But yeah, that's next week, you guys. And it's the season finale of season two. It's our season finale. And so in the next, yes, in the next episode, we will be announcing something that's going to be really exciting for the start of third season. And we literally can't wait to tell you. And so I think that you guys should also be excited about it. Um, so make sure you tune in so you know the news. And that's it. And that's it. See you next week. See you. Bye. Peace out. Just die.